Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Fiction. Science Fiction. Horror. Fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and our on KCB 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and 1050 AM Palm Springs. We've got a man sitting here with us, uh, Scott Walter, and everybody should know him from America Unearthed and all sorts of things. So uh, welcome to the show, Scott. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I am... Uh we're just listening in on your conversation. <laughs> it sounds like you get into some uh, interesting uh, topics. Spicy. Well, we try. We, we you know, we're Spicy really for sure. It's it's the mystery of the human, and there's there's so many aspects to the way we 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 act and behave and treat each other and things that that drive people and uh, and um, we just love covering that and talking and and we let anybody come on and talk about what they believe and and um, show us any evidence and get into it. And we're not, like I said, other than Dan Abrams, everyone's been really nice for, what, almost seven years now for us. Yes. And mm-hmm. I'm picking on him because he was really mean to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes you catch people on a bad day, and I don't oh, know. you're right. Um, you're right. But, you know, that that does happen, but I don't think that's an excuse when you're, when you're on a... Uh, you know, doing an interview with anybody. I mean, you have to be cordial and whatever, whatever is, is, you know, chapping your, chapping your, you know, your thing that day, you got to put it aside and be professional and, and courteous. And, well, know, it was, it was a your, hard. Don't bring your was, baggage to your interviews. Yeah. And it was, it was only hard because, um, uh, you know, him and Nancy wouldn't go on at the same time, and then one person wanted to be on board the other, and there was all this stuff going on. And then, uh, then when he came on, he wouldn't do any of the promos. He wouldn't. It yeah. was just really, 
it was a real difficult time. Uh, it was almost like, oh, <laughs> okay, well, what do you want to do? But that's, you know, you're right. It might have been a really bad day, and I, I might just be... Uh, it's been several bad days. <laughs> no. Well, anyway, I, I don't know what. what no, it's I, all good. To me, there's no, there's no excuse for that. No, it's, I, it's it's all good, and I'm sure he's a nice guy normally, and and uh, and I still watch the shows when I when I can, you know. But uh, so, yeah. what's been going on with Scott? What's what's been going oh, on? Oh boy. You? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Scott has been traveling a lot, and. Uh, that's uh i i enjoy traveling i mean i i don't care if it's work or play or whatever i i think uh i think travel is a privilege and you know to get out there and and see uh you know different places around the world i've been very fortunate and i continue to be able to do that so i really really enjoy it and every place i go um i like to see what's going on there and and what the history is and um, especially if they have any, I, I love to do what we call churching. I like going to the older religious houses, whether it's a church, a basilica, or a cathedral, and uh, looking for symbolism, trying to understand the history, who who was there, what happened, and I, I just I get a kick out of that. Well, I think it's amazing, and 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 I think we 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 should spend more time on history so that we the old saying that we don't repeat ourselves, you know, and make mistakes, right, right. you know, mm-hmm. learn from the yeah. people that, that went through it. Well, those who do not learn from the past are destined to repeat it. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. And it's really true. It's really true. And, um, you know, but yet it, it still happens, right? We still make those same mistakes. And, um, yeah, you know, that's crazy. How do you, how do you feel lot, about traveling? Uh, when you're traveling around, do you like it still, or is it a little bit more... Are, are are you a little bit more nervous about traveling? No, I'm not nervous at all. I mean, I mean, it, it depends on where you're going. Of course, um, if you go to certain parts of the world, you have to be more careful. Um, oh boy, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Canada boy, they are pretty tough up there. Yeah. Um, actually, I, I'm not picking on the Canadians because I'm half Canadian myself. My mother was born and raised in Lindsay, Ontario, which is north of Toronto, about 90 miles. And I spent all my summers as a kid up there, so I, I feel uh, I feel a deep connection to uh, our, our friends to the north. And, of course, I live in Minnesota, so I could, I could be there <laughs> in a few hours. So that's not a problem. But, no, I enjoy traveling. You know, my dad was a pilot when I, when I grew up for Northwest Airlines, so I grew up able to fly anytime I wanted and I did I took full advantage and you know now that I'm a, you know I'm, I'm no longer a dependent obviously that was decades ago um, I still feel like um, you know I'm, I'm making up for all those free trips I took but I, I still love to travel and I don't I mean I want to get a good price on the ticket as much as I can <laughs> but you know I flew for free for so long I, I still feel like I'm ahead of the game Oh yeah, well I mean, and you're right. It's a real, it's a real pleasure. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a privilege to be able to travel so much and see so much. Um, but so many people don't have that opportunity. Well, it's, you know, I I was talking to a, a friend of mine, um, one time, and and it was a it was a woman, and I remember her telling me she had never left the state 
that she was born in and lived in. She had never left the state. And I'm like, how does that happen? <laughs> how could you not do that? I mean, just once I would get the car and just drive to Wisconsin if that was the case and, you know, step foot in it so I could say I went there. But, I mean, it just exactly. underscored the fact that a lot of people don't have that opportunity, and, and that's why you have to appreciate it when you yeah. do. So, yeah. And we do. So so now you you kind of work on, um, lately you've been talking about um, um, the Kensington Stone and, and Templar Knights and stuff like that. Um, right. So what is what is your most, I, I don't want to say, well, surprising or most exciting? Um, Discovery. Thank you. <laughs> Discovery? Well, um, in the book, I'm going to reveal a lot of things. But one of the things that I think is really important, and it was it was shocking, and I talked a little bit about it in my last book, um, Akhenaten, the Founding Fathers, was you know the Telpiat tomb. Are you guys familiar with the Telpiat tomb in Jerusalem? I I think so. I, I think so. Is that the one where they found the five skulls in a specific order? Um, not five skulls, they found three skulls um, in an equilateral triangle. Well, it, wasn't a, it was in a triangle, but they were found in the east, south, and west quadrants of this particular tomb. And inside this tomb, there were ten ossuaries. You know what an ossuary is, right? Yes. It's, it's uh-huh. a bone box. And uh, anyway, inside this tomb, there were ten ossuaries, seven inscribed with names, one, uh, seven in, uh, six in Aramaic, one in Greek. And we're talking about names like Jesus, son of Joseph, uh, James, son of Joseph, brother of Jesus, mm-hmm. uh, Judah, son of Jesus, Matthew, uh, Joseph, uh, Maria, and the last one that was carved in Greek, it was Mary Emne the Mara. Mary Emne is basically a pet name found in the Acts of Philip that refers only to Mary Magdalene. Magdalene. And the Mara is a title of honor, as in Lord, Master, or Queen, that has only been found on, this is the sixth one in Jerusalem of the I don't know what it is, 3,000 ossuaries that have been cataloged in the Israeli Antiquities um, Association. And they, uh, so you put all those names together, every one of them corresponds to the royal family. And what do you do with that? Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, I, I mean if, you're, if you're a Christian and you, you believe, you know, in Jesus being the Son of God, mm-hmm. That's pretty. That's a problem, right? <laughs> it, I, well, you know, and and here's where I think that the problem would would lie, is with those little words that you glanced over, son of. Yeah. Son of Jesus. Yeah. Uh, well, now, yeah. Scott, I, I don't. Uh, this is this is just me talking, but I don't see why it should be a problem. Now, now I'm speaking as a Jewish man. But right. you know, with with Christian sympathies, but I don't see why that would be such. Ah, 
Well, well, why I, that I, would be I, such I, an I, issue? Well, here's the thing. I, I what I always say to people when I have a discussion like this is, I think you have to, from the get go, you have to define the discussion. Are we talking about religion or are we talking about real life? Because the fact is, you can't mix the two because it doesn't work. And you know, if you want to talk about faith, that's fine. That's one discussion, and that's 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 great. But if you want to talk about real life, which is kind of where I come from most of the time, um, that's a different discussion. For example, um, and I'm just speaking for myself, um, until I see a person rise from the dead, I'm not buying it, um, or evidence that, that supports that. Um, just like until I see a virgin birth, I'm not buying that either. <laughs> so, so that's just the real world. I, I'm just saying, look, I've never seen it. I've never heard of it really happening in real life. So until I do, I'm, I'm not going to buy that. Well, but the other thing is, and, and being Springer. Jewish, you can probably speak to this better than I can. But my understanding is in the first century, uh, a rabbi was not only required to be married, but to have a son for secession. Yes, Have you heard that's that? True. Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. So why is that a big deal? If if Jesus was truly a rabbi, um, this would be expected, right? Mm-hmm. And, so, and they which, they addressed him as teacher, which would translate back into Revi or rabbi. Right, right. So I guess if you strip away, you know, sort of the the, the fantastic stuff that I, you know, just doesn't happen in the real world. The fact that he had son, a son and that he was married should not be a surprise to anyone, um, really. I mean, if you look at it pragmatically. But, you know, getting back to the question you originally asked me, what is the most exciting discovery? I won't say it's the most exciting, but it is truly exciting for me, is, you know, I've worked with, you know, Simca, <clears throat> Giacomo Vici, and... Charlie Pellegrino and the guys that did the work and James Tabor on the Telpiat tomb that brought the Telpiat tomb to the world. And one of the things that Charlie shared with me, this is getting to be a, a few years ago now, <clears throat> it was like right after my last book was published in 2013, but he had taken some pictures of the Jesus son of Joseph Ossuary. Now the, the, the Aramaic, that name is inscribed on the side of the box, on one of the ends, which is typical. And it's written in very readable Aramaic, as far as I understand. But what was unknown to people and has never been published until I published it on my blog a few years ago were Charlie's pictures that he took of a symbol that was carved on the lid of the Jesus ossuary. And I'll never forget when he sent me this email. He said, Sim, can I think that this is a, a star symbol that had to do with um, a Jewish story, an ancient Jewish story? And I can't even tell you what the story was because I quickly looked at the symbol and I disagreed with him. And I said, guys, that's not a star symbol. I said, that's a monogram of two symbols. And when I told them what it was and explained it, they both agreed with me. And what that symbol is, is a monogram of a hooked X yeah. and a Tau cross. And when I saw it, I, I mean, I saw it immediately. 
and I, I pointed out that the tau is slightly below the center of the X, and, and, and it's a, clearly a hook deck. It's got an upper a bar added to the upper right arm. It's clear. It's distinct. You, you can't mistake it. And what I further said to them is I said, well, in, in the old Aramaic alphabet, the, the old Hebrew alphabet, the alpha, um, the first letter is, um, the Aleph. looks like, yeah, the Aleph looks like a, a, a stonemason's version of the Hebrew Aleph. And, and it looks like a hooked X. I mean, if you, if you think of an Aleph character, it kind of looks like a hooked X. And the Tau is the last letter. And what I argued was that it was the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and end of the, I mean, isn't that something that Jesus reportedly said? But there it is on his ossuary, and it's almost like it's a name. It's at the, if you held up this, you know, rectangle-shaped lid and put it vertically, the hooked X and tau cross would be perfectly aligned in the upper, you know, upper center of the, the, uh, of the lid. Have you heard of that before? It sounds from I may have spoken with you about it on a previous show. Okay, we may have, but I I just find that incredible. And of course, you know, the hooked X is on the Kensington runestone, the Spirit Pond runestones, the Narragansett runestones, in certain documents that are connected to Templars and uh, navigators in history that are probably associated with those orders as well, and. The question is, where did they get it? Um, one of the things I've also argued is that the Templars not only went under the Temple Mount and found certain things, but I believe they may have also gone into the Telpiat tomb. And the question is, why did they do that? Well, tombs are a great place to hide treasures, right? But mm -hmm. the other thing that I think that they could have done is gone into that tomb and collected some of the bones of the people of the royal family, including Jesus, as a little insurance against the church. Well, why not take? Me? Well, why not take all of them if you're going to do that? I mean, I, I, I understood their uh, aversion, you know, to stealing bodies. But if you're going to go that far as insurance, why not take the ossuary? Back then, they they couldn't prove DNA, but if right. I have the actual you know, the ossuary. This is insurance. See, look right here. It says Jesus. Right. Well, you're you you you. You're, it's a great question. I don't know what the answer is. All I can tell you is, is the ossuaries are were still in the tomb. Um, but there was evidence that somebody had entered the tomb in the historical past, sometime around the first crusade. So who would have who would have done that? Well, if you believe as I do that the leadership of the Templars, who are part of these bloodline families that you hear people talk about, they would have been descendants of the royal family. And if anybody is going to know where their ancestors' burial place is, it's probably going to be them, right? It's going to be family. So, you know, that's, that's the thesis that I've been going under, and I think it's pretty plausible. Um, why they didn't take the ossuaries? I, I, it's a great question. I don't know. In fact, they may have 
brought an ossuary and put it in there. The one that's carved in Greek would be the Magdalene, right? Yeah, that's all. And she didn't die in Jerusalem and may not have been buried at the same time. She supposedly disappeared into France, and maybe her followers or family members brought her back after things had settled down with the Romans and put her back in there. That's just a thought that I've had. That, that's a good point, because they all eventually would have had to have been moved, because they had to bury, or they had to, to prep Jesus' body after his death, before Shabbat, which was following the, following the next day, which is why right. they actually borrowed a tomb, it says, from Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea. Arimathea, yeah, yeah. So they would have yeah. had to so move, may, move yeah, Jesus later. Well, and actually, the tomb, there's a tomb that's right next to it, in that uh, they call this the garden tomb, and then they have another one they call the patio tomb, and the patio tomb is believed to be that of Joseph of Arimathea. There are several ossuaries inside of that one. They've only taken cameras into that tomb. They have not removed any of the ossuaries, but there's some very interesting symbolism on those ossuaries, and they believe that to be of Joseph of Arimathea. The Telpia tomb is only, like, I don't even think it's 100 feet away. And so they, they there's some speculation that that was a tomb that was the property of, of Joseph of Arimathea, but I don't know if anybody knows that for sure, but that's an interesting point that you brought up. Now, the three skulls, um, I, I, I want to come back to that, because that in yeah, and yeah. of itself is symbolic, and especially their, their positions. Well, no question about it, because those are where the three highest officers sit in a Masonic lodge, and a, a Templar preceptory is in the east, south, and west, and that just happens to be where those three skulls were placed. And those three skulls were in relatively good condition. The bones inside the ossuaries were were pretty degraded. So the interpretation is is that those skulls were placed in there <coughs> at the time the tomb was breached, around the time of the First Crusade. So here again, if it was the Templars... Um, <laughs> They would leave those three skulls, my interpretation is they left them as symbolic guardians, perhaps three Templar knights who died during the siege of Jerusalem, who would have been honored to have their skulls placed as symbolic guardians inside the tomb of their ancestral king, grandmaster. Ah. And also, it would be an extreme honor for part of you to be placed next to, you know, the bones of Jesus. Absolutely. If you were if you were a Templar knight, what higher honor could there be? I, I can't think of one. <laughs> so this but that's my that's that's my interpretation on it. I don't know if it's right, but works for me. And I have I have to agree. And the the hooked X just makes that connection all the way from Jerusalem all yes. the way to America yep. in the Kensington Stone. You that's, got it. That's you got it. The imprint. Now, now, if 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 you if you accept that, which I do, uh, it's it's more than a little plausible, and it also supports the fact that it was the Templars who left these rune stones here, most notably the Kensington Stone as a land claim, because on line one it says, or line one and two. 
Abe Goss and 22 Northman on this acquisition business or taking up land. My God, what, what the hell do you think it says? <laughs> it says it's a land claim. That's, what it, that's the first thing it says. But if you, if you accept that, the problem that you run into is why have I gotten so much pushback on this thesis that to me, from a forensic standpoint, and by the way, I do forensics for a living. <laughs> I do forensic investigations all day, every day for the past, you know, 33 years. I kind of know a little bit what I'm doing, and I have to be honest and tell you guys, this is the easiest evidence trail I've ever followed. It led to only one group, and all the, all the facts fit. Everything makes sense. And but the problem is why why am I the only person that's talking about this? Why, surely I you know this you know I, I I like to think that I've done some reasonably good work, but there's no magic here. I'm not some genius that's smarter than everybody else. That's not what's going on. I can promise you that. So why is it that nobody else can quote see this? Well, I don't believe that. I think they do see it, but I don't think that they want to accept it. And what I say is, unfortunately, when you accept the Templars as being the ones that placed this land claim stone in the center of the continent 130 years before Chris Columbus, you know that guy that didn't set foot on the continent that already had millions of people living here? That guy? <laughs> yes. The, pro the problem, here's the problem. If you accept this thesis... <clears throat> all of a sudden you trigger a series of dominoes that begin to fall and they go to inconvenient places for certain groups. Like, I'll just throw one out. The Roman Catholic Church. Those dominoes go to a place <clears throat> that we've been talking about for the last several minutes, the Telpiat tomb. Mm -hmm. And guess what? They don't want to go there. Do they? I, I have to agree, and, and right before you made the point, that's exactly what I was thinking. You know, you, right. you don't you don't want you know because ah, it, it's going to challenge their belief system. So if we just ignore it, the monster goes away. Well, or if you look, what they're doing the and they also well that's that's one thing they just they don't respond. They just let you sit there in silence and eventually go away. Or, here's the other thing that they do, and they've done this with me because they know that I'm not going to go away, is they can't attack the evidence, okay, because the evidence is irrefutable. The case is proven. I mean, it is. It's, it's, look, if I, if I was able to testify to the evidence that we have in a court of law to, to the Kensington Runestone, for example, it would, and I do this all the time, by the way. I testify as an expert witness all the time. And, you know, and this may sound strange, but, but hear me out. I've never lost a case. It's not, and, and it's not because I'm so great. It's because if I have a client that has a loser case, I'll say, look, the evidence is stacked against you. I'm not going to lie for you in court, so you better settle. <laughs> Because if I get on the witness stand, it's not going to go well, right? But if it's good, if it's a good, strong case and I testify, fortunately, we haven't lost yet. So I understand how this process works. And in a court of law, if I argued the, the facts of the Kensington Runestone, the other side wouldn't even show up 
because there is no evidence to support that it's a hoax or that it's 18th century. And how could there be? Because all the evidence points in the other direction. But so they don't attack, they don't come to me and say, okay, well, we want to talk to you about the evidence. We don't agree with this. We don't agree with that. They don't do that because they, they won't agree because there's nothing to disagree with. So what's the fallback position that they do? They attack me, the person. I was going to say that would be the next thing. Take out That's the what they do. You got it. And, you know, look, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I don't know what, what they could go after, but that's what they do. They try to undermine me. It got so bad that I had a wiki page, and there was so much garbage that was being put up that was just flat out untrue. I told them, <clears throat> I told wiki, I said, take it down or I will sue you. I don't care if I have a wiki page. That doesn't validate my existence. That doesn't make me a person, whether I have a wiki page or not. So take it down. So if you Google my name, you won't find a wiki page. Well, we'll start one. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we got you covered. Yeah, but then, the, yeah, but then the, the trolls will go on there. I mean, anybody can edit those pages, right? Yeah, yeah. And you also have to understand the editors, many of those editors are, are anti-pre-Columbian research. So they allow it. I can tell you who they are. I know who they are. Uh-oh. It's it's. I mean, this is this. There's a lot going on that people don't understand. Why? Hey, let me let me give you an example. Okay, if you go to the Kensington Runestone Wiki page, now this may sound like bragging, but it's not bragging. It's a fact. It's the truth. Nobody has done more research on the Kensington Runestone than yours truly in the history of the stone. I've written four books now where large parts of it deal with the Kensington runestone, including Compelling New Evidence, which was a 574-page book I co-authored with Dick Nielsen. You will not see my name on that entire page anywhere or any of my books referenced. Nothing. Zero. Zip. Why is that? But you know what you will see? There was a book that was written by a scholar. Uh, Professor Alice Kehoe wrote a book called uh, examining the uh, Kensington Runestone question holistically. Her book was an academic review of our book, and that book is, is referenced as a citation on the wiki page, but not the book that she wrote about. <laughs> <laughs> Go figure. Well, so that's, a, that's what's yeah. going on, guys. Yeah. Well, I know. I, I work with a Jew. I. <laughs> are you are you blaming the Jews for all of this? Are no, they the ones that are behind? No, they're not. I know they're most not. People, they, most they people most totally people support it. us. We've had we've had total people. We've had people. You know, the Jews did nine eleven. The Jews did. Oh they, yeah, I'm sure. You know, right, right. They've done yeah, everything. Course. Everything wrong. They did. So, <laughs> you know. Well, you know what? I I am constantly amazed when I hear things like people that are holocaust deniers and i'm like have you not seen the pictures (laughs) have you not seen the video i mean seriously it's like i can't even believe we live in a world like that sometimes when there are people that and and i don't think it's closed-mindedness it's just outright racism to the extreme and i just don't get it i i honestly don't i don't know how people can be so horrible to other people people that can be racist to 
so many people. Um, I, I re, you know, I've been dealing a lot with Native Americans, and um, they have been absolutely wonderful and helpful. Um, and the reason that I've been dealing with them is for the simple, um, logical reason that if the Templars came over here or any of these other cultures from uh, different parts of the world in the historical past, who do you think they ran into? Right? Why doesn't anybody ever talk about the interaction with the natives and talk to the natives? Maybe they might know something. That was one of the first things I thought of years ago. Well, gee, the Kensington Party, how are they going to get to Minnesota unless the natives left them? Right? They're not going to fight their way to the center of the continent for crying out loud. There's no way they could do it. So what was that dynamic like? Pardon? Even by water, if they traveled by way of the Great Lakes through the rivers, they're still going to encounter these other cultures. Oh, forget it. It's not going to happen. There's no way it's going to happen unless the natives let them. And so that was the question that I looked into early on, and I reached out to them. And, you know, I mean, I, I heard some very, you know, I, one of the things they told me, said, look, we don't talk to white people. And I said, well, I can appreciate that. You know, that little genocide thing that happened to your people, I understand why you feel that way. But what I've learned is with, with any, 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 any person, treat them with respect, respect their culture, and listen, and you'd be surprised what you get back. And they have been wonderfully supportive, and I can tell you this, guys, they know. <laughs> They know all about the Templars. They know all about these cultures that came here, but no, nobody ever stopped to talk to them. And part of the reason why so many of them were killed, in my opinion, was it got rid of the witnesses. I believe that. They believe it, too. No smoke and peace pipe. <laughs> <laughs> well, all I can tell you is is that they are... I mean, think about this. Can you think of any other culture in the world that has learned to live uh, in its environment, live in balance, better than natives? I honestly can't. No. I can't. (laughs) I mean, they, you know, when when they kill an animal for food, I mean, you know, not only do they thank the great spirit, but they thank the creature for giving its life to help sustain them. And, you know, it's just when you stop and learn what these people are about, you, you learn a lot. And it's, it's really amazing. And, and one of the things I've been fortunate enough to do is uh, I, I've been in a, a native sweat, and I spent the time to earn the right to ask my questions. You don't just walk up to them and start peppering them with questions. You have to earn their trust. And I asked them about the Templars, and they said, oh, you mean our blood brothers? Mm. That's what they said. Wow. I mean, which means that there was a very significant relationship there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that I get criticized for all the time is that the, you know, I say that the Templars 
venerated the ancient sacred feminine, the goddess, that they just pretended to be Catholic um, and used the Virgin Mary as a symbol for their true faith. I mean, they just played along with it, but that's not what the... And I'm talking about the leadership of the Templars, not the everyday knights that were fighting on the front lines, but there was something about them, and as I, the more I dug into them, the more I realized this is what it was all about. Native Americans are matriarchal cultures. They venerate the goddess, too. And so when the Vikings came over, they were basically assholes. They, they just did what they wanted. They didn't respect the culture that was there. And according to the natives, they wiped them out. The Algonquin tribes met with the, uh, their, their historical enemies, the Iroquois. They met in council and said, look, we're going to have to deal with these white people sooner or later, so you might as well help us now. We're gonna, <laughs> if you don't take care of it now, you're going to deal with them later. It's going to be a bigger problem. That's what they told me, and they, they wiped them out. When the Templars came over shortly thereafter, they had a different attitude. They had things in common. They shared rituals. They shared degrees. They shared a veneration of the ancient goddess and the sacred feminine. And, you know, if you look at matriarchal cultures, they certainly respect their women. <laughs> and uh, and that was that was the secret to their having success over here. And they did it quietly, and the Templars that came over and stayed assimilated within a generation, and they basically became natives. It makes you wonder, is there something to this whole story that the blonde-haired, blue-eyed natives, the Mandan, up in our country here, not too far from the Kensington Ruins, don't literally a couple hours drive away. Now, Interesting, I, I, huh? Yes. Now, b before we run out of time, I want to ask this. It, the Kensington Stone says that they were on an acquisition journey. What were they here? Yeah, acquisition business or taking up land. The word is, is closer in Swedish. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, to business. Yeah. So would, you, would it be fair to say then that this is almost like a property line marker? And if it is, how, where's the rest of them? Are there more? that could be outlining this property, and was this a deal with the natives? Was this, you know, I, like just like I bought my property or I bought my house? Um, you know what? I, I, as far as the, the dynamic with the natives, I don't know. I don't know if they had some type of treaty or agreement. I know that um, they obviously got along. Like I said before, there's no way they could fight their way to Kensington. They had to travel with them. But, you know, the other thing is the, North, the, the Kensington Stone is found along the north-south continental divide of North America. And back in certain countries, I know the Dutch and the French had a land claim practice at that time where if you could prove that you navigated to the headwaters of a river system, you could lay claim to the entire river system and all the land associated with it. So theoretically, at Kensington, where so many critics have said, why would they put a, a, a stone in the middle of nowhere? Well, for some reason, I don't know why I'm the first piece, person to bring this up, that if you, <laughs> the, the Kensington Runestone land claim, theoretically, they could have laid claim to the entire Red River, Hudson Bay watershed to the north, and the Mississippi, Murray, uh, Missouri watershed to the south, which is about half the continent. I mean, holy crap! I mean, that's why I'm asking this. Imagine this is this is huge. That it if they owned all of that, you own all the major trade routes in America and well, most of the land. That, not just that; it says from Vinland, which is Finland, or the East Coast, right? Yes, that's the East Coast, the Northeast coastline of, of North America, from Vinland far to the west. So it's not just the, the, the watersheds. They're laying claim from the East Coast far to the West, I presume west of Kensington. Essentially, they're claiming the whole continent. Now, and, and literally... interpretation of it. And it's literally carved in stone, which back then was the greatest medium that they had that they knew would last. You know, we Absolutely. all know what, what happens with paper, papyrus, clay. Yep. You know, this yep. is in stone. So... Having said all of that, and, and you know, we, we kind of alluded earlier to a Masonic connection. Um, I, you know, it's, it's chicken or egg, which came first, the Masons or the Templars, or Templars or Masons. It, at this point, it really doesn't matter. Could, nope, you're right. You're theoretically, right. later on, down, down the road, could Templars suddenly come out of hiding and say, listen, we literally own all of this. Right here is our proof. They already did. What? They already did. They're called our founding fathers who founded this nation. And I can oh. guarantee you this, guys. They knew all about the Templars who came over here. What most people don't know is George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Ben Franklin, Paul Revere, all those guys were not only Freemasons, they were Templars, too. 
and <laughs> and they knew what the Templars had done. They knew about it. Look, when Thomas Jefferson sent Lewis and Clark west to the, to 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 basically examine the Louisiana Purchase, right? Did you know that you knew Meriwether Lewis was a brother, right? That he had secret communications with Thomas Jefferson using a Masonic box code, and the code word for the box code was artichokes. They went on this, and and Clark was not a Mason at the time. Most people don't even know about this fact, but in July of 1806, on the way back, they split up for six weeks. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Lewis, they split up at the mouth of the little, look it up. They split up at the mouth of the Little Bighorn River, and he went up with nine guys who were all Masons. And they went up and they crossed the Continental Divide. Now, as a Mason, I can tell you I've been through all the degrees of the Scottish Rite, all the degrees of the York Rite. And I can tell you that there are real historical truths embedded within the rituals that we learn and then perform and pass on to the next group of candidates. The difficult part is trying to figure out what's real and what's not. But one of the most important rituals in Freemasonry is something that deals with King Solomon's temple and the nine arches and the secret vault below the sanctum sanctorum in the Holy of Holies of 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 King Solomon's temple. When I was going through one of the degrees, the select master degree of the York Rite, we were we learn in that degree about what goes into and what's on the Ark of the Covenant. And I can't tell you the details. Mm-hmm. But what happens in this degree, you learn about how the three grand masters, King Solomon, Hiram Abiff, and Hiram King of Tyre, where all the wood came from to build the temple and the scaffolding and everything else, yeah, the cedars. Pardon me? Uh, I was just saying, yes, the cedars. Yep. And what they do in the ritual is we learn that the three grand masters build the secret vault, which is the nine, ninth arch, right? And then in the degree it says, and the other eight arches were built by 22 men from Gebel. And I went, eight and 22? Those are the first two numbers on the Kensington Runestone. I'm yep. probably the only guy that would that would pick that out, right? Well, guess what? When I went through the rest of the ritual, the other six numbers that appear in sequence on the Kensington Runestone are in the degree. So all eight numbers occur in sequence. Fact you would have better luck picking the lottery numbers than picking those eight numbers in a row. Did you realize that? <laughs> I, I did not. Um, I, I am not at that degree yet, but that is profound. Are you, a, is, are you a Mason? I am accepted and taken oh. by brothers and fellows. But <laughs> <laughs> I am so taken and accepted by brethren and fellows. Very good. So you've, you've just done the Blue Lodge degrees. Yes, have you sir. done Scottish right? I have not. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, you might want to consider seeking the additional light, and the York right is amazing. Um, it's more Christian, 
most of the guys that go through it um, think it's Christian, <laughs> but there's a whole other layer to it that is not Christian in that sense. It's a different kind of Christianity, but in any case, that uh, that select master degree and those secrets that are in there are on the runestone. And so what I discovered was that the the inscription on the runestone is part real history, part real information, and part allegory. There are no ten dead men, okay? The Ark of the Covenant, I will tell you, this this thing that's in it, everybody knows one of the things that's in the Ark of the Covenant, right? Oh, of course. Ten, ten commandments, right? Yes, well, the, at least the second set. <laughs> well, there are two tens on the Kensington runestone. And in the degree, you have the Sanctum Sanctorum, where the treasures, you know, the Ark of the Covenant and the, and the uh, relics were kept, right? But in the yes. secret vault, there was a copy of all the true treasures. So there's two, two arcs and two Ten Commandments, two tens, ten men red from blood and death, ten men by the sea with our ships. Oh wow! I so, see because I'm I'm looking at the Kensington Stone here and the translation. You see ten twice, right? Yes, I do. Yes, and they occur in sequence in the degree in the select master degree, and then fourteen, fourteen days journey from this island. What is fourteen? Fourteen is the number of resurrection. And and also far to the west, which means that they're in the east. From had, Finland, far yes. to the east, yeah, far to and, the west, yeah. And we had a camp. But what I think, but here's here's what I think. Just stay with me for a sec. According to the natives, they have told us there is a secret vault in Montana that the Templars put stuff in, because they took them over there. They showed them where to put it. And the natives have been guarding it ever since. Thomas Jefferson knew about the secret vault. And he told his brother, Meriwether Lewis, you need to go check on that, because that was the crown jewel of the Louisiana Purchase. And who do we get the Louisiana Purchase from? The French, French right? Yes. Right, right. And you know that Thomas Jefferson was the American ambassador to France from uh, 1785 to 1789, and his name is on the rolls at or <clears throat> on the rolls of the Lodge of Nine Sisters in France. And I just wonder if somebody may have whispered in his ear about the secret vault, because then we got the money, we purchased it. And he sent Lewis to go check on it. I can tell you this, according to where the natives say that the vault is, when Lewis went up and crossed the Continental Divide, he was within a day's ride of the secret vault. And what he did was, I'm sure, is he checked on it, reported back to, to uh, Jefferson that it was safe, that it's there. And there's more to that story. Yeah, they may have to start looking in, in more of these mounds. Do you think they would the, the natives would have placed all that in a mound? 
Well, uh, there, um, I, I find it very interesting that the Smithsonian Institution, in the middle of the, eight, the middle 1800s, once we had control of the territory, started uh, a mound excavation program. And they were sanitizing all the mounds of evidence of any pre-Columbian contact. Certainly they were looking for treasures. And you know who one of the biggest funders of the Smithsonian Institution is? Oh, I'm afraid to ask. <laughs> the Roman Catholic Church. Oh. Good. Why do you think they hate me so much? <laughs> <laughs> they do. They hate me. Look, I, when, when, I, when I busted them on the, on the Bat Creek Stone, the Bat Creek Stone is a first century Paleo-Hebrew inscription. When it was found in 1889 by John Emmert, brother, wait till you hear this story if you haven't heard this. This one will make your blood boil, okay? When they found that inscription, they thought it was Paleo-Cherokee. Not a threat, right? No problem. So they cataloged it, they put it in the archives, and that was the end of it. But in 1964, a female, Henrietta Mertz, who was a Chicago patent attorney and an uh, amateur researcher, she was in the Smithsonian Institution, and she found the Bat Creek box, and she flipped the inscription over. Because if you look in, uh, the Smithsonian Institution published it in uh, 1894, I believe. I have, I've got the, uh, um, I've got that volume downstairs. But anyway, she, it's it's upside down, and she looked at it and she thought she saw some Phoenician characters, and she took it to Cyrus Gordon, who was one of the top Semitic scholars in the world, back in 1970, and he wrote an article and he said, "This isn't Paleo Cherokee; it's Paleo Hebrew, first century Paleo Hebrew." Now at that point. You would think that our nation's museum, right, would say, oh, my gosh, that's interesting. We should study that. Yeah, let's look into this. Right? That's not what happened. What happened is they immediately came out and said it was a fake. And then they blamed John Emmert. John Emmert was the field agent that they hired to do that particular dig. So they throw this guy under the bus, they accuse him 80 years after his death. Okay? Then they hired a couple of, uh, of archaeological hacks, Manford and Quast, a couple of idiots, to make all these outrageous claims. But what the facts are this, when Emmert, because I've read Emmert's notes, all the detail in these notes, nobody ever reads the, the first-hand information. What happened is, in this mound, the third mound of the Bat Creek complex, that he found nine bodies, seven shoulder to shoulder in the north quadrant of the of the of the mound, two in the southwest quadrant, one with his head to the north, the other with his head to the south. Under the skull of the only person in that mound with their head to the south was a birch bark bundle, sacred bundle, under his skull or her, we don't know the sex of that person. And in that, in that birch bark bundle was a red ochre stone for face paint. Uh, there was a bone awl made of antler, or a bone. There was um, some wood fragments, two copper bracelets, 
and the small inscribed stone. In the early 80s, uh, a friend of mine who's now a retired professor of economics at uh, Ohio State University, Hugh McCullough, he initiated um, um, a testing program of the Bat Creek artifacts. They did a C-14 on the bone awl, and they got 60 to 600 A.D., so by association, everything in that bundle, because they were all found together, whatever date you get on the organic material, the date is the same for everything, right? You would think. Well, it's called science. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then he tested the, the copper bracelets. And guess what? They weren't copper. They were brass. And they had the exact same chemical composition of copper, um, tin, and lead as first century Jewish bronze work. So, so what else, I, thought what the didn't, <laughs> I, I thought the natives didn't practice metallurgy. So what's going on? So I'm the first person to look at the Bat Creek Stone scientifically from a geological standpoint and I went and, and I asked them the museum if I could if I could study it and they said no we're not going to send you the stone I said that's okay I'll come to your museum I'll do it there and I did <laughs> the Smithsonian tried to put me off so anyway I went there I did the analysis and the director was with me the entire time he saw what I did and I wrote a report and I said the stone is old the weathering is consistent with this and by association, by the way, the C14 date, the you know the the the, the bracelets, the brass, the whole thing, um, this thing is authentic. Well, for the first time in its history, I wrote that I wrote a blog when we did an episode about the Back Creek Stone. The Smithsonian responded to my blog with an official statement saying our position is it's a hoax and it was done by John Emmert and blah 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 blah. And then I wrote back to them and I said, well, you know what, guys. I said, you better be careful, because you're throwing John Emmert under the bus. And I said, John Emmert did 200 digs for the Smithsonian. And if he's so incompetent, and he's a fraudster that he, you know, that you guys would hire a guy to do that, then you call into question not just the Bad Creekstone dig, but the 200 other digs that he did. And I also said, look, if you're so incompetent that your people hire these field agents I said, not only is John Emmert called into question, you call into question all the digs they did. So then the Smithsonian came back on my blog and modified their statement, and they said, it's still a hoax, but they took John Emmert out of it. That's on my blog. It's still there. I'll never take it down. That's the first time they ever responded officially. Now, let me tell you something about John Emmert, because... To get permission to even look at the stone, I had to go to the Eastern Band of Cherokee to get permission to look at that stone because it's a funerary object. It came out of a burial, right? Very sacred to their people. And they said, yeah, we'll support you on this. Screw the Smithsonian. That's what they said to me. Good. And the Smithsonian had no choice. They had to let me see it. So what happened is, the daughter of the senior elder of the Eastern Band, she became very interested in John Emmert. So she researched him. She found 
his descendants. John Emmert was a Civil War veteran, wounded twice, buried in an unmarked cemetery in Abington, um, Tennessee. John Emmert was also a constable, a cop, right? And last I checked, you have to be vetted to be in law enforcement, right? Background check. Mm-hmm. And John Emmert was also a Freemason. And I don't have to tell you, we have to be vetted before we can become a Freemason, right? Absolutely. This is the guy that they threw under the bus without even looking into his background. So after all of this was done and my report was done, the Eastern Band of Cherokee paid $10,000 to buy a monument to put in the cemetery to mark for John Emmert. $10,000. And they called me and they said, what type of an obelisk, what type of a monument should we do? And I said, because he was a mason, you should do an obelisk. And they did. They paid 10000 bucks. Now his grave is marked there. Wow. Wow. This is, this is what's going on. Nobody ever hears these stories. Thanks for letting me tell them. Well, we're the minor part of the mainstream media. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, this is the kind of stuff that people should be hearing about. This is what gets suppressed, right? The now, this begs history. the question. This begs the question. Who is the guy that carved that stone? Are you telling me the Hebrews were here in the first century? My answer to that is, yes, they were. Why, why couldn't they be? Because it said that Solomon sent out ships in every direction. Why, <laughs> why would they not wind up here eventually? You're not going to get an given the right, me. Yeah, given the right conditions. Man, then we're You're not going to get an it. argument from me. I'm, I have no doubt about it. Um, I, I look, the evidence speaks loud and clear. I mean, w- what else could have put those artifacts in there? I mean, that 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 could have been a Hebrew person right there. I, I, for all we know, unfortunately, guess what? Of all the artifacts, they collected a jawbone. John Emmert said he collected the lower jaw because the bones were severely degraded. The only thing that was really intact was the lower jawbone. And guess what? You're not going to believe this, guys. I've inquired for that bone, and the Cherokee have inquired, and guess what? They can't find it. Oh, boy, that's a shocker. How convenient, huh? <laughs> so. Well, gee, they know, what we, they know immediately what we would do, right? If we got that jaw, jaw bone, what do you think we'd do? What, DNA? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what I'd do. Hell Yeah. We'd pull one of those molars, and we would. That's going to be the the the, the best preserved DNA. We do C fourteen on the bone. We do DNA on the on the tooth, and we see what we get. And oh my goodness, they're not going to let that happen, are they? No, but it'd be a great show. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we stay tuned, guys. There's a lot more coming, but um, this is the kind of stuff that the world needs to know about. And you know what? I mean, if if the Jews were here, the Egyptians were here, the Celts were here, the Phoenicians were here. Who cares? Why is it such a threat? I don't get it. I think it's fascinating. I think it's cool. I know it's true. So let's just, let's just do it. Is, I mean, is, are they worried about the land claim? Is the government worried that the French are going to, you know, try to claim, <laughs> claim America? <laughs> Look, the guys that put the land claim down 
finish the job. It's called America. It's founded by the Masons, and you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> see, it's, it's a it's a Mason Jewish collusion. I well, knew see, it. it is. I, it I is. am. I Deal am with the perfect it. Deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Jewish Mason. I am the perfect conspiracy. Yeah. Awesome, brother. That's, That's great. Right, well, Scott, well as you good. know, as you know, when we go into Lodge, what's on the altar? A, a Torah, a Koran, a Bible. Uh, some of them have an eagle feather. I took my obligation on the Jefferson Bible because at the end of the day, that deity that all these different religions venerate, it's the same thing, right? The sooner people in this world realize that, the less fighting there's going to be. That's my opinion. Yeah, it's just going to be beyond our lifetime. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think you're right. <laughs> yeah. The way, the way it looks right now, it's going to be a little while. Yeah. Well, it's, not going to happen. it's our job to educate and hopefully, you know, people... Well, that's, that's kind of... That's, the idea behind um, what we do here, uh, we we like to yeah. see that. I wish I wished more of the um, network would get on board. I'm so tired of twenty four seven politics and all that stuff, and, yeah. and no no real news or information or, or things that people are doing or science is doing. You know, there's yeah. There's, there's, I mean, or or yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, we're we're living in in really strange times. And, you know, I, I mean, personally, I mean, I'm not going to be shy about it. I, I don't like our leadership, what they're doing right now. It's, 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 it's so divisive. And, yeah. and it's, it's both parties are responsible. Oh. And, you know, we just have to find common ground, but we just don't have the right leadership that, that seeks that. And what I find incredible is that, you know, and again, I hate to keep singing the praises of masonry, but, you know, before you become a mason, the first thing that happens is you are humbled, right? And the one thing that I think more people should appreciate and understand is that we all came into this world with nothing, right? And we're going to go out with nothing. And at the end of the day, the guy with the most money doesn't win. <laughs> it, 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 it's not the way it works. It's, it's, it's the impact you have on people that you interact with and, and the positive influence that you have on the people you interact with. And that's really, that's it, I think. Yeah. Well, what else is that's there? the most important. What else is there? I mean, when you, when you, when we, we when we all pass to that celestial lodge or wherever you go, wherever you, you believe that you go, and people come to your funeral, what are they going to talk about? They're not going to talk about how much, well, what a great business deal he did or how much money you had. They're going to talk about the impact that person had on your life. That's it. And, and, and that's what more people need to understand. And if, if more people understood that, I think we would probably all get along better. Well, hopefully it's getting. It's it, hopefully we're going in the right direction, but it's so hard to tell. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a big, wide, complicated world, and the answers. You know, we can we can throw the answers out there and talk about it, but in in, in reality, it's it's 
it's a lot harder to do, but that doesn't mean you stop trying. That's that's right. That's what we try to do, you know, educate people and bring the light, and hopefully they'll learn from it. And, uh, and well, bottom line is, I, I, you know, the big thing I like to see people do is to actually, when they hear or see something, is actually to think about it and uh, research it and get involved and um, become a part of it rather than just. I don't know what what you call it now. Just to, no, nobody's interested. It seems like, or it's uh, it's a lot harder to get people involved. Well, there, you know, part of the problem is is we're all stuck on our phones and we don't interact with people. We don't talk enough. We don't listen. <clears throat> and I, you know, I, I, I and, and people need to read more and be more curious and. Um, you know, and that's that's what you know we we do on our shows is we try to educate people, we try to get them to think, <clears throat> and I truly believe that if you give people intelligent content, they'll come. You know, and at yeah. least a certain segment of people, there are people that want to learn out there, and there's just so much to learn, and it's so fun when you when you learn something new and you, it, it enriches your life. It's just a cool thing. I just wish more people would would. Uh, discover that you know yeah, yeah we have to have ufo shows to keep us up in the top 10 <laughs> <laughs> well I'll, I'll, I'll tell you i don't know if it's as funny as people think i you know people ask me if i you know what do you think of ufos or do you believe in ufos and i say i i don't dismiss anything because i don't have the answers um i haven't seen enough evidence to convince me that there is something there but you know, I, I just, that doesn't mean that it, they don't exist. I, I don't know. I'm not afraid to say I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's kind of how it is. You, you want to keep getting the evidence and and uh, figure things out. I think that's the, the best yeah. part of it, really. Well, absolutely. And um, I, I, my mind, uh, I'm, I'm open, I'm receptive to any new evidence, anything new that's tangible and um yeah let's let's wait and see what happens is in my mind that's an open question it's very it's fascinating i mean there's just there's just too much smoke out there for for there not to be a fire somewhere and uh maybe the government is hiding some of it maybe they're worried how people will react i don't know maybe there is something there well, Kevin's oh. been abducted several times, and he's had my time <laughs> slips all the time. <laughs> he doesn't know what day it is. I'm well, no. they, uh, you, apparently uh, you, you didn't get along too well with them because they, they kicked you out. They yeah. took you back, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nobody yeah. wants me. Yeah, they said forget <laughs> it. Forget it. No, no. No. Well, Scott. So, what's your what's your what's your blog site so people can uh, come and oh, uh, just go things? to Scott Walter Answers one word dot blogspot dot com just type in scott walter answers it'll come right up and i've been doing the blog god it's probably going on seven years now and there's all kinds of topics on there when uh when we were doing america on earth you know every week i would write a blog when they aired and people would write in and i would answer their questions and of course over the years i've done you know my research uh for this new book a lot of the stuff there's bits and pieces in blogs that you'll see in the new book. Not everything, of course, but the Telpiat Tomb stuff, the Hooked X Tau Cross, that's all 
I've had blogs on there, and you'll see I even let the trolls comment for a while. When they, <laughs> when they start getting obnoxious, I cut them off. And, you know, the one thing I just ask people to do, if you're going to come on and make a comment, just use your real name. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna call me a jerk or you don't agree with me, at least have the have the integrity to put your name behind your your comments. I get a lot of these you know anonymous bloggers that say this stuff. I mean, yeah. you know anybody can be a troll in their mother's basement. And, yeah, and, yeah. You know, <laughs> well, you know, but then you, they, if they use the real name, then you and the Masons are going to get them. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We're going to have to send out our agents to go get them. I wish, you know, I wish half the stuff that people think about makes sense is true. I wish we had that kind of power, but yeah. um, you know, most of it. Uh, most of the time, the stuff you hear, it's all it's it's mostly nonsense. But um, and I wish more people would find out what it's really all about. I think the world would be a better place if we had more masons and. People want to argue with me. I say, look, Masons founded our country. Do you realize that? The Declaration, it's a Masonic document. I mean, don't tell me the Masons are negative. I mean, we brag about these guys all the time. They get lionized to near godlike status. Does the fact that they were Masons have anything to do with their greatness? Of course, I'm biased, but I would argue yes. Real, real quick, I gotta say this real quick before I let you go. I actually, you know, told a told somebody that once. Um, I said, you know, that that Masons founded the country. George Washington was a Mason. Blah blah blah. You know, the Masons founded this. Right. Uh, uh, no, they didn't. The Americans did. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? Some people, it doesn't matter what you tell them. Their minds are made up, and nothing else is going to get in. And all you can do is just say, okay, well. Good luck to you, um, and yeah. just go on your way, because <laughs> if yeah. they don't understand the fact, it's a fact that our nation was founded by Freemasons, and you're just going to have to accept that that's yeah. what happened, it's a fact, deal with it. Yeah, I mean, how, true? Many, how many comments do we get about, oh, that couldn't be true, I saw it in the movie. <laughs> you don't know how many times we get that on different. Yes. Oh please, and please, it's, really, it's really, really, come on. That's going to be the most common one. Well, I know that can't be true because I saw it in the movie. Yeah, um, it's Kurt just, Russell was Wyatt Earp. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> oh, God, it it is really uh, that bad. It really is. Well, it. I know it's that bad, and and I have to tell you that I think that. I think we need more Masons in the world. I think we need more Masons in government. I can guarantee you this. Um, the Masons might not solve all the world's problems, but I can guarantee you this. is If we had more Masons in government, we would have more people making decisions in the interest of the greater good than the personal good. Yeah. And that is not happening right now. No, yeah, it's a big problem. I don't yeah. think anybody can argue with that. No, it's totally out of touch and out of control for a common citizen. Nothing's being done for the ninety percent that are working and, and trying to make it. Um, you know, the government's no. not working and, and for them. No, and the people that represent us, the ones that have the most power, are, are millionaires ten times over, and they pass laws to make to, to make themselves and their the, you know their. 
their billionaire friends more money. I mean, I run a business. This this latest tax <laughs> tax cut that the Republicans passed. Yeah. <laughs> my partners, I we just we just take more money. Yeah. And what it does is it gives the rich people more money to donate it to the political people that they want to support. So yeah. when the political people pass these laws, the money funnels right back to them. People don't realize that. I mean, yeah. come on. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh well, I don't want to get into politics. No, it's, it's just it's so depressing. It's depressing. It takes the smile off your face. Yeah, so, that's the. Uh, we're going to wrap it up. But but Scott, it's always a pleasure having you on the show. It's always informative, and uh, we love it. So thank you. Well, very much. thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And uh, um, you know, you guys are doing good work. So keep doing the good work. And uh, you know what? It, it takes a it takes a village to to turn this thing around and, and everybody has to do their part and you guys are doing your part so keep it up well thank you we're trying thank you Scott <laughs> to find out more about our show guests or to listen to past shows from our archive please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com show is over for now was it as good for you as it was for me well good night this has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www houseofmystery.com Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.